Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Monday, June 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, a protester interrupts Harris on stage at the Move On Big Ideas Forum. Sanders holds a grassroots fundraiser at a San Francisco nightclub. And what happened at the California Democratic Party convention? Here's what you missed this weekend from the campaign trail. Okay, to open the show today, let's review a notable and frankly pretty scary moment from Saturday. During the Move On Big Ideas Forum in San Francisco, Senator Kamala Harris was interrupted by a protester. So let me set the scene. Harris is on stage. She's talking about her equal pay initiative with two moderators, Corrine Jean-Pierre, who is Move On's chief public affairs officer, and Stephanie Valencia of Equus Labs. In the middle of that discussion of gender pay equality, a tall man wearing hipster jeans and a bushy beard rushes the stage, heads straight for Harris, reaching for her, and grabs her microphone. Jean-Pierre immediately jumps out of her chair as the man approaches and holds her arms out, straight out in front of her, trying to hold him back. After the man grabs the mic away from Harris, Harris remains seated until the other moderator, Stephanie Valencia, encourages her to walk away, so she gets up and slowly walks across the stage. Meanwhile, Jean-Pierre is right up in this guy's face, keeping herself physically between the man and Harris. It's a profound moment. I'm not sure whether that is instinct or training or maybe life experience handling this kind of bad behavior, but Jean-Pierre in that moment shows real bravery and does the right thing under immense pressure. She continues to shield Harris with her body, making sure that Harris is behind her at all times as Harris walks away. And Harris, for her part, plays it cool. Cooler than I would, cooler than I think you would too. So the guy tries to launch into his rant, which he starts by describing as a bigger idea. Let me just briefly reinforce the facts here. A white man jumped onto the stage and grabbed the mic from a black woman while she was discussing gender pay equality in order to rant about a topic that he thought was more important. All right, so a few staff members appear from backstage as this is all happening. The MC talks over the man, preventing him from being heard at all, really. And several more people vault onto the stage from the front row of the crowd to surround the man and contain him. Within 30 seconds, the protester is hustled entirely off stage by a group of four men led by Harris's husband, Douglas Emhoff. It was a scary, weird moment, and it immediately went viral on Twitter. Here is audio of how it went down. Listen in. Of your first big idea on the gender pay gap, not everyone works for a corporation. Yes. And a big... On Twitter, Politico reporter Christopher Catalago followed up with the protester outside. I'm not going to repeat the guy's name here. Reading from the tweet, quote, He's trying to bring more attention to the mass extinction of animals. He is not being charged with a crime, he told us, adding that the move-on security crew was cool about it. End quote. Let me tell you, the reaction online had three key components. One, people praised Jean-Pierre for doing an incredible job. Two, 
They called on Move On to sue the guy and improve their security, no news on that yet. And three, they pointed out the gender and racial components of this whole incident, and more on that in a moment. But first, I want to play for you what happened next, because I haven't seen many outlets report on that part. So let's listen in. I'm going to cut this off after the beginning of Harris's answer. There's a link to that full video in the show notes. But just listen to how quickly this gets back on track and how Harris gets right back into answering questions. Listen in. Hey, folks, it's okay. People have their own wow. big ideas. They have their own big ideas. Yeah. But we also want to it's make okay, sure that guys. we are being respectful to our folks that have there. come here to speak to us. You just so, got to be respectful to all the do. folks that are coming yeah. here. Yeah, we want that. go to a move on member question, okay. yep. uh, which is from Ryan from South Carolina, who asks, what steps would you take to gain and protect the rights and lives of all LGBTQ people? Um, it's Pride Month here in yeah. San Francisco. It's really important with conversion therapy, gaining momentum in evangelical churches and that conversation, taking on more of a national conversation and the continuing rise of the murders of the transgender community yeah. and given vocal critics of the Equality Act. What would you do to protect current and future generations of LGBTQ Americans across the nation? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, first of all, I'm acutely aware of it. Um, even when I was Attorney General of California for two terms, we published the hate crime statistics every year. And the level of hate that has resulted in acts of violence, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and sometimes lethal in proportion, is... Um, is not only unacceptable, but is something that we all need to be aware of in understanding that these forms of hate are very real. Yeah, so by my count, that is roughly 90 seconds from the appearance of the protester in the first place through getting him off stage, resetting the stage, Harris requesting a mic, getting a mic, and then asking the moderators for the next question. And then she comes back immediately with a detailed response based on her experience as DA of San Francisco and AG of California in 90 seconds, okay? Meanwhile, on Twitter, Joy Reid wrote, quote, Reworking tomorrow's show a bit. We need to talk about the invasion of these women's physical space, end quote. CNN correspondent Kyung La wrote this on Twitter, quote, Cory Booker says this to me about the Kamala Harris protester. I'm really hoping that we see Secret Service and others begin to step in, because that really could have been a horrifying moment. Kamala's like a sister to me. I love her, and that makes me very upset. End quote. Booker went on for several more tweets, and there's a link to all that in the show notes too, but you get the point. To round out this story, I want to read a brief tweet by Emhoff, again that's Harris's husband, who helped restrain the protester. After the incident, he posted a picture of him with Harris, and in it he's wearing one of her campaign t-shirts. He wrote, quote, thanks for all the kind notes. We are good. I love Kamala Harris and would do anything for her. Heart emoji, heart emoji, 
End quote. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, and now for something not awful from that same day. On Saturday night, Senator Bernie Sanders held a fundraising event at the Mezzanine Nightclub in San Francisco. His campaign billed it as the first of many grassroots fundraisers of his primary campaign. Shane Goldmacher covered the fundraiser for the New York Times, reading from that article, quote, The night had the vibe of a Sanders rally, only smaller, darker, and more intimate, and with booze. Disco balls dangled from the ceiling. When the lights flashed briefly during his remarks, Mr. Sanders joked about the special effects. Very sophisticated, he deadpanned. Either that or someone was leaning on the light switch. End quote. Other fun details from the story include the pricing of tacos at the bar, $27 and also the incredible list of people who came up before Sanders to introduce him. The list includes actor Danny Glover, an unnamed doctor who actually performed emergency first aid on an attendee who collapsed during his remarks, an unidentified man wearing what Goldmacher described dryly as a flat-brimmed hat with the letters Playa on it, Cornell West, along with Ben Cohen from Ben & Jerry's, those two reportedly joked together and ended up hugging while jumping up and down, then Jane Sanders, and finally, Guy Saperstein. Now, that last one is a little unusual. Saperstein, who is retired now, had his career as a civil rights lawyer. But, as Goldmacher points out, Saperstein is literally a, quote, wealthy major political contributor, end quote. He has already given Sanders the maximum $2,800 contribution for an individual donor. But that's not all. Reading from the article, quote, More interestingly, Mr. Saperstein had tried to draft Senator Elizabeth Warren into the 2016 presidential race, even pledging $1 million for a super PAC if she ran. He gave her $2,800 this year, too. End quote. After this super long parade of intros, Sanders came out and gave his speech, and it was well received. Goldmacher reported this line, which seemed both on brand and true. Quote, you don't need the wealthiest people in this country to fund your campaigns. Ordinary people are prepared to do that if you stand for something. End quote. The Times further reported that 1,000 people attended the event, which is a full-capacity crowd for the mezzanine. It's unclear how much Sanders brought in that night, and the campaign declined to give a specific figure, but the mezzanine's website listed ticket prices ranging from $27 at the minimum, famously the average Sanders donation in the 2016 primaries, going all the way up to $2,800, which is the maximum donation for any individual in a given campaign cycle. 
On the sold-out Act Blue page for this event, their listed maximum ticket price was actually just 2000 bucks. so maybe they're just leaving some room in there for drinks and tacos and stuff. Over the weekend, the Democratic Party of California held its convention, and 14 of the major candidates showed up. That's mainly a reflection of how important California has become since it moved its primary up to Super Tuesday in early March. Before that change, most candidates would likely have spent this weekend in Iowa, skipping California for now. But clearly, California was the place to be over the weekend, with one notable exception, a high-profile candidate who chose not to show up, Joe Biden. California and the other Super Tuesday states will come after Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina hold their caucuses and primaries. However, given the sheer size of the state of California, winning that would make the earlier states less relevant. California has 55 electoral votes in the national election, which, granted, isn't quite the same thing as a Democratic primary, but still, those other four states combined have just 25 electoral votes. So what do you prefer, 25 votes across four states or 55 votes in one state, California? So this opens up a strategic question for every Democratic primary candidate. Do you focus on the very earliest voting states, which can lead to momentum, or do you focus on the biggest possible states, even though they vote just a little bit later, hoping for kind of a come-from-behind win, or at least to remain a contender for longer? In a New York Times analysis, Shane Goldmacher and Jonathan Martin pointed out the problem of actually campaigning in such a huge state. Quote, all of the 2020 campaigns are grappling with the logistical and financial challenges of breaking through in a mammoth state of nearly 40 million residents whose delegates will be awarded based on both the statewide vote as well as the results in all 53 congressional districts. With its multitude of pricey media markets led by Los Angeles and the Bay Area, California is a prohibitively expensive place to buy television or digital ads at scale. Making attention and coverage from the news media and on social media essential. End quote. So all of this gets at why so many candidates showed up and held so many events over this weekend in California. And the main event was the Democratic Party convention. So to give you a taste of that, I'm going to select some moments from the candidates' speeches. This should give you some sense of what happened. First up, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper made statements that drew, shall we say, Mixed reactions from the California crowd. Listen in. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, socialism is not the answer. I was reelected. I was reelected in a purple state in 2014, one of the worst years for Democrats. by removing private insurance from over 150 million Americans. We should not try to tackle climate change by guaranteeing every American a government job. Hold on, hold on. As the Democratic Party, we have to create a vision for this country. I want to give Americans a reason to look forward to tomorrow. As president, I will make health care a right not a privilege 
with a real public option. I will tackle climate change with a laser focus. I will once and for all take on the NRA and have universal background checks on all gun sales. Yeah. Now, for what it's worth, all the other audio from all the recordings I've heard, aside from that Hickenlooper thing, has a ton of echo, but it is still intelligible if you pay attention and maybe rewind it back if you miss something. But for those of you listening to this podcast at a higher speed, like 2x or 1.5x, you might want to slow down, or a lot of these clips will just sound super trippy. So, your choice. Alright, the themes common to most of the candidate's speeches were... A desire to defeat Trump, of course, an appeal to Californians specifically, which differed a whole lot from person to person, and, by the way, Harris is a sitting senator from California, and last, a bunch of digs at Joe Biden, who wasn't there, but still remains at the top of the Democratic primary polls. Okay, so Elizabeth Warren got a huge response from the crowd when she came in. She walked in to Dolly Parton's hit song, 9 to 5, and proceeded to tell the audience that she had a plan to win. She then laid out a clear argument that got at two things. First, wealth inequality, and second, Joe Biden. In this clip, note how she obliquely calls out Biden's claim that once Trump is out of office, Republicans will have a so-called epiphany and start compromising with Democrats. Listen in. And Beto O'Rourke also received lots of cheers for showing up and speaking in a mixture of Spanish and English. That gets to the large Spanish-speaking population of California. What I'm about to play is the very first thing he says upon taking the stage. Listen for the cheers from audience members who clearly speak Spanish. Listen in. Para que trabaje para todos 
y para que todos puedan participar en el éxito de este país. Y necesitamos asegurarnos que podamos ofrecer cuidados de salud a todos como derecho humano para cada americano en este país. So there are a bunch more of these short speeches. They're generally like six or eight minutes long floating around online. Unfortunately, the sound quality on almost all of them is super awful. So I guess here's hoping it doesn't sound like that in the DNC debates. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, June is finally here, just 23 days until the first Democratic primary debates. So mark your calendars, or, you know, just tune in the next day, and I'll let you know everything that you missed. All right, as always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Tomorrow.